Hey team, it's Matt Drinkon here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast. My name is Matt Drinka, and I am your host for the day. I appreciate your taking the time to invest in yourself through this show. So thanks so much, team. This is the show to help get you off the bench and get you into the game. You know, if you have things blocking you and holding you back, any challenges to overcome, listen to the stories of this show. Listen to all the different strategies, tactics that people use to overcome their stuff and how they are successful in their own eyes and their lives and how they overcome their stuff. This is a great playbook. Day by day, every episode's got something in it, some nugget of wisdom that if your antennas are up, you can pick it up and learn something amazing. So I hope you enjoy today, friends. Before we get started, I want to encourage you, you can connect with me on social media, at Facebook or Instagram, at Eternal Optimist Podcast, those are the accounts. Today's episode, it's all about creating energy. And talk about energy. My friend today, Mr. Nate Palmer, He's the kind of person that every time I'm around him, I get a little bit fired up. He's an exciting person for me to be around. He helps me to up my energy. He's the kind of person that when you are around him, you challenge yourself to show up, right? So I just, I love being around him. Nate Palmer, he helps people create energy through nutrition. He also has a mastermind group. He's a coach, has amazing tattoos. He has long hair. He's a Star Wars fan. He's an impeccable quick wit and sense of humor. He's very easy to be around. He's also physically ripped like a pro bodybuilder, all from his exercise and nutrition regiment. He's a pretty cool dude too. We have a fun conversation today. He shares a bit about how he and his wife packed up and left the country to go to South America to work and experience life for a year. They just left. So pretty amazing there. He recounts the painful rejection he faced with the pretty girl back in school that crushed his heart and laughed at him. We talk about how to purge trauma and tackle emotions with curiosity. We also talk about the unconscious agreements we have with ourselves and how we can let go to focus on growth. Nate's sense of humor is on point, his energy is infectious, and he is, I would say, he's about as cool as they come. He's authentic. He's amazing. Put your hands together and welcome to the stage. Wait a second, that's a different stroke. Please put your hands together. This conversation with Mr. Nate Palmer. Enjoy, friends. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. 
And with that introduction, without any further ado, I welcome to the podcast my really good friend, Mr. Nate Palmer. Nate, greetings, sir. Thanks for having me on the show, man. I'm really excited to be here. I've been looking forward to it. Absolutely. And I did not know coming into this that you were as avid into Star Wars as I am. So tell me a little bit about how you got into Star Wars and why Star Wars. The classic hero's journey, right? Although I will say that Luke has a little bit of like an emotional attachment issues. Like his like uncle's farm gets burned down and he's like, yep, on to the next thing. Let's get a sword going. But like, you know, watching him evolve over time and then go through that, finding out that Vader is his father and then the battle on Hoth. Oh, it's just so good, right? So like I watched that when I was like 9, 10, 11. My cousin Ryan introduced me to it during Christmas one year. And I was like, this is so much better than Santa. I am like, I found my calling and it's to be a Jedi. Oh. And so recently I've been watching Andor on Disney. The first four episodes, they could have condensed that into like 40 minutes. But oh my gosh, it is crazy. And I'm loving seeing like the boots on the ground, like empire oppression that you don't really get in like some of the movies where they're like, here's unlimited amounts of TIE fighters. On this one, they're like, here's two TIE fighters, and they're going to mess your shit up. So, yeah, I've been really enjoying all things. I mean, I love fantasy. I'm a big nerd, so. Awesome. And by the way, if you don't know Nate, I'm looking at him. He says this, we're having a good time with it. You don't want to F with Nate. And we're going to find out why today, because he is fit mentally, physically, and he's the real deal. And Nate, I read your intro earlier, so they know a little bit about you professionally and what you've accomplished and where you are there. But what are one or two things about you that the audience wouldn't know from an intro? Interesting things about Nate Palmer. So I got two little kids at home. My daughter is four and a half and she claims to be the true leader of Arizona and wants to show me her muscles on a regular basis. My son is almost two. And the only thing I can say about him is he's just a Goomba. He just runs around everywhere belly first and just smiles and laughs at things and is just kind of a naughty, a naughty boy. And I just love him tremendously. The other thing is that I love traveling. My wife and I have tried to like get out of, out of town of every, like a month, every summer with our kids. But before that, 2015, we sold all of our stuff, packed up everything we owned and moved to South America for a year. So how in the world do you make the decision to just pack up and move out of the country for a year? That, wow. It took some coercion, but my wife is an incredible planner. She's great. My wife's the best. So I'm kind of like, I have this vision. I want to do these things. And she takes action on a lot of this stuff and was like, all right, here's where we're going to go. We're going to do this first. We're going to stop here. So we ended up doing, they called them work away. Some people call it woofing, but basically you work and they provide you with food and lodging. So you're working like four or five hours a day. So we worked on an organic farm in Panama for a little bit where I, fun story, got third degree burns from a gasoline fire that I started incorrectly. And we were like, is our travel over? And it wasn't. So but we did do the Panamanian hospital tour, which I would not recommend. Why wouldn't you recommend it? It sounds like really a fantastic experience. And why wouldn't you recommend it? Well, I was speaking worse Spanish at the moment. And Panamanian Spanish is hard to understand anyways. So we went to nine hospitals in seven different cities. I was getting like, my arm had third degree burns up in my neck. I was only wearing boots and shorts because that's, I don't know, I was on an island. And so they scrubbed all my skin off. I got this subdermal infection. My wife got staph, but for a while they thought it was leishmaniasis, which is a tropical flesh-eating disease. Then they were like, no, it's bot flies. So they're squeezing it and stuff. So we went through it for the first like six, seven weeks. And then it, it was pretty much smooth sailing from then on. Wow. Things you wouldn't know without asking. Amazing. One last question here. So you chose South America for a year. What inspired you to make this journey in the first place? Well, we got married really young. So I was, I think, 23 when we got married and my wife was like 24. So it kind of ended up being, it was like, I've always wanted to go traveling and backpacking and go through South America. I love South American culture. I love Spanish. I wanted to learn better Spanish. And I knew I wasn't going to get that aside from with just Duolingo. I needed to put myself in those situations. 
I ended up getting married rather than traveling. And then with kind of the caveat of like, Hey, we're going to, let's do this at some point. So took a year or two, saved up some money, sold all of our stuff. And then went down there early retirement. It was so fun to retire at 24. Yeah. Sell your stuff and retire to South America. Well, what brought you back? You were there for a year. Why did you choose to come back? It's nice to be traveling. It's nice to be around, but also like it is nice to have a community and do life with people, you know, and you just didn't get that when you were moving from place to place every six weeks, three months or whatever else. And, you know, you got a little bit of that. You do have the store, you go to the tienda that like you'd end up at every day and you kind of learn people's names and stuff, but it wasn't the same as having like, this is my house. This is my church. This is my, this is my neighborhood. And then also it was uh, challenging to continue to make money on the road. Okay. Much respect for having the courage to go and do that, Nate. Let's turn back the clock a little bit, shall we? And dive back into the past. We're looking for something that's been challenging for you. We can go any direction you might want to go, but what's something in your past that was challenging? And let's start with that, Nate. A challenge. So I could talk about a lot of different things. I've been an entrepreneur for a really long period of time, and that's obviously comes with its own set of challenges, failed businesses, just bad choices, all that stuff. But I feel like maybe something that people would resonate with was growing up, I was just never felt comfortable in my skin. I didn't like how I looked. I didn't like how I felt. And in fact, I remember this one time in high school, Matt, when this girl I was crushing on, Christine Jeffries, who was a hottie for show, she came up to me and she was like, hey, Nate, can I see your arms? And I was like, are you talking about Big Dub Diesel or are you talking about DeBoss? Like, all right, girl, like, what's up? And so she looks at me and she turns to her friend Michelle and she goes, See, I told you his arms were smaller than yours. And I was like, Oh, Christine, why do that to me? So I pulled the dagger out of my heart and I was like, Well, I guess I have to work out now. And so until I look like Arnold Schwarzenegger and no one can ever hurt me with those words again. So I felt like if I have enough neck tattoos, a big enough beard, and muscle armor, like I was going to not be able to be hurt was kind of the, I wouldn't have put it in those words as a 12 year old, but looking back, like that was the trauma. That was something that I always had, I was working through. So I did every diet, I did all the exercises in the gym. I never really got results. I was so obsessed with it, Matt, that I got a job as a personal trainer. And I was like, I'm going to figure this out, whether it kills me or not. I'm going to figure out how I can actually look and feel confident in my skin. I was obsessed. And so fast forward a few years, I'm in Seattle. I'm working as a trainer there. And this website reaches out to me because I've been doing some blogging and stuff at the time. And they were like, hey, can you write us an article about nutrition? I was like, sure. And they're like, but not about fat loss and not about muscle gain, which is kind of what I've been talking about previously. They're like, write us about how you can have all day energy through your nutrition. And I was like, all right, that's weird, but Sure. So I delved into some of the research. I followed up with a couple of people who I, who I thought were really great experts in nutrition in the field. And what I found was super surprising because all these things that I'd heard, eat six meals per day, stoke your metabolic furnace. You got to make sure you're eating this many grams of carbs. You got to be eating like, have like oatmeal for breakfast. They all turned out to be not optimal when you start prioritizing your body's natural energy or what I call biorhythms. So how do you work with your body rather than against it? So I wrote this article. It was fairly successful. And I started using this in my own life. And what I noticed was that what previously I felt like I'd always been banging my head against a wall to get these results, it just became like effortless. So I had more energy during the day. My body changed a lot easier. The clients that started following this method got better results faster because we were no longer focusing on tracking calories, cutting things out, like white knuckling our ways, but instead focusing on how do we have vibrant energy all day long, show up big for our families and our friends, and that seemed like that was a one big challenge that I always had that seemed to shift into an opportunity to kind of teach people. And that kind of became my mission of showing people how do you eat in a way that helps you get leaner, live longer, and be legendary. I guess I'm wondering, those of you who can't see Nate right now, and you'll see him on YouTube, but if you're just listening, Nate is ripped. And Nate, how old are you right now, Nate? 35. 35? Good God, he looks so young and he's ripped. 
You just can't see the gray streaks in the beard. Is that just for men intentional to make you look a little bit older? Because you ha- you look very young. I just use paint, actually. I don't have enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how do you work with your body to optimize your energy? Like, well, Just start with that. Yeah. How do you do it? The first thing was getting off of this six meals per day stokes your metabolic furnace. You've heard that before, right? I've heard of like a lot of small meals a day. Yeah, I've heard of this. Tried it. So the fun thing about that, like the cultural norm of when you go to buy an engagement ring, three months of your salary onto a ring. And that was created by De Beers, the diamond business, right? So the six meals per day myth was created by Metrics, the supplement company, right? Because in the 90s, they came out with a whey protein powder and they were like, how do we sell more whey protein powder? Well, if you want to get results, you're going to need to have three meals per day and three protein shakes per day. And that just evolved over time till that became this just obvious cultural thing that everyone believes. For some reason, we say stoking metabolic furnace or metabolic fire, which is a fake thing. That doesn't even exist. You can't do that. So it's this crazy thing that's just become ingrained in our cultural consciousness that it's hard that no one questions. So we got to get away from that because really what happens is when you eat less, you have more energy. You cannot eat a big steak meal. You can't eat anything really and have your vibrant energy because what's happening when you're digesting food, you're pulling blood from your brain, you're pulling blood from your extremities all into your gut to help aid in the digestion. And that was one of the big things that I saw. I was like, okay, well, if you want to get more done, you got to eat less. And so like, and then a follow-up to that, Matt, which is crazy, is that from an evolutionary perspective, we are more focused we have better hand-eye coordination. We have short-term to long-term memory retention. And we have better better res- like responsiveness in our visual cortex when we are a little bit hungry. Huh. Because that ate us hunting, right? You know, like you think about Thanksgiving, you're not like, after you finish Thanksgiving dinner and someone's like, hey, you want to go play pickup basketball? You're like, actually, I'm going to watch the Detroit Lions lose at football. <laughs> and you do that. You had to throw that in there. <laughs> <laughs> from Michigan, but okay. So I've tried intermittent fasting a few times, like a 60 hour, like two and a half day fast. And I feel this mental acuity. I feel sharp. I also feel like I'm really hungry. Why do I feel so hungry? And at the same time, I feel sharp and it feels really good. Like help me understand why I'm not actually starving, but I feel like I am. A lot of that has to do with carbohydrates and sugars and then also just habit. So when you're doing those fasts, I really love to encourage my clients to do a 24 or 48 hour fast every single week. 48 is a bit more aggressive in terms of like, you want more rapid fat loss, but I think everyone should be fasting 24 hours a week. I like that even better than the 16 hour, 16, eight intermittent fast. I call these prolonged fast as like a, just a minute difference. But basically, like you said, you feel sharper because you have unlimited mental focus and your body is evolutionarily responding to like, give you the, like the cognition to track animals better and be a better hunter, provide for your family, provide for yourself because your body wants you to live. So if you think about how do we work with our body's natural tendencies and our rhythms to give us what we need in in the 21st century, are we still in the 21st century? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think we are. Yeah. I know we're not out really hunting woolly mammoths, but like, how do you show up big on a zoom call? How do you show up as like the best dad possible? How do you lead your teams and your businesses? Well, like by having more focus, by having more cognition and, and by being a little bit hungry and reframing that I'm a little hungry into being I'm a lot more focused, can be a really powerful mental way of doing this. And then kind of to your point about being hungry, just make sure you are hydrated and you have plenty of electrolytes. Coffee and tea are always good, but electrolytes can really solve a lot of those problems for you. So, And how do I get electrolytes other than uh, Gatorade, I suppose? You just get a big salt block and you just go over and lick it when you need it. Just kidding. No. Okay. Well, could I go and get my Himalayan sea salt big container and just grab some salts and drop that in every cup of water I have? 
yeah, that's a good option. There's a lot of places that make now like a zero sugar electrolyte blend because Gatorade has limited electrolytes and big time sugar. So I'd rather get like an electrolyte packet. Relight is a good option, but been by Redmond Real Salts. I use the Element, Element Tea Packets. That's Rob Wolf's company. But there's a lot of little uh, recipes online. I can share one that I like, like a homebrew recipe. But basically you want to have sodium, salt, magnesium, and potassium. You want to have all three. What's crazy about that is that people are like, oh, I don't know about salt, high blood pressure. But if you're having the three electrolytes together, it can actually reduce your blood pressure rather than increase it. And we'll put that in the show notes, whatever recipe it is that you want to share. We'll have that in there so our audience can take a look at it. We'll so showing up more focused, more on your game for your Zoom call or whatever it is you're doing, you can get this way by having some type of discipline with your diet. It's not six meals a day. It's not overloading on carbs and sugars. Is there an ideal diet that you might recommend that we can start with just to kind of get our minds in that right area? So I wrote a book on like kind of like, quote unquote, this diet, or I prefer like framework because I call it carb backloading. What it means is that all day long, you're keeping your carbohydrates really low. And there's a lot of reasons for this from like a cellular level and from an evolutionary level we were talking about. But basically in reality, what it means is that you eat light all day and then you eat more of your carbs at night. Cause right, you've had that Chipotle burrito syndrome where you have your carbohydrate, like you eat a burrito and then you're like, let me just take a quick nap under this desk right now. Cause I'm very tired. So we want to harness that work with your body's biorhythms again. So that way you eat your dinner and you shift into that rest and digest state. So you start getting more tired and you sleep better and you wake up with more energy. It becomes like that positive snowball rather than the negative one. So I wrote that up into a book. It's called The Million Dollar Body Method. But what's cool about it is if you like Mediterranean, if you like paleo, if you like doing some other type of diet, you can plug and play those into this framework. Because I'm not going to tell you exactly like you have to only eat kale and chia seeds. Like, I don't think that works for anyone. But if I say, hey, Matt, you got to eat carbs, vegetable, and a protein at dinner. And you're like, all right, I'm going to have a steak. I'm going to have grilled broccoli. And I'm going to have Captain Crunch. I'm going to be like, that's pretty weird, Matt. But you know what? If it's the framework, go ahead. It's the framework. Got it. Got it. I love the name too, Million Dollar Body Method. That's pretty cool. Attention grabbing. Love it. Do you have any other books you've written or anything else out there? I think you might even have an offer for our listeners when it comes to your books. Yeah. If they want to grab that book right now, you can just go to getnatesbook.com and you can grab that for free of the ebook or the PDF or the Kindle version. And I also just released the Audible if you're more of a listen to books type of person. So it's on Amazon. My other book's called Passport Fitness. So if you're like, how do I get fit while I'm on the road or traveling? Or I go to hotels, like I'm traveling six months out of the year. That's a good book. It has a lot of anecdotes from traveling. So you can hear about crocodile wrestling and the time I almost got stabbed and all the fun stuff. Yes, I can personally attest that book because I have a copy of it and I travel frequently and it's been helpful just knowing that when I'm on the road, I can still find somehow some way to get what I need for my body. So I like that book. Thank you. I appreciate you reading it. Thanks, man. Yeah. You have a product that I purchased a couple of years ago called the Bod in a Box. Do you still have that product? No, that's one of my many failures. Oh, it's a failure. Oh, well, uh, it was a success for me. I would never have known. It helped me. And it still does. I still use the resistance bands for my golf swing. So I'm oh, happy to hear that. That's fantastic. So that was kind of like when I got back from traveling, I was like, how do people get in shape? So all I did was I brought my bands with me. I trained every single morning for like 30 minutes. I did these really quick workouts. And I was like, everyone's going to love this. But I didn't ask anyone, do you want this product? Will you love this? And so what ended up happening is like, I got so many people who were like, oh yeah, it doesn't work for me. It's not working out. And I'd be like, oh really? Like, let me come over to your house and like help you figure it out. And I'd go places or I'd pull up on Zoom or whatever. And I'd be like, all right, grab the straps. And they'd pull out the bag and it all had the zip ties on it. And I was like, I'm sorry, I wasn't clear. You got to take the zip ties off. Like, you got to open it. <laughs> <Get up. laughs> Funny. All right, well, that may have been a failure, but not a failure. A failure is when you quit. It was a failure in terms of that product, but it led to great learnings. What is the lesson you may have taken away from that particular business venture? 
there was two main lessons. Number one is if you don't focus on your nutrition first, no matter what you do exercise wise, you're not going to get results. And obviously like people talk about abs are made in the kitchen. You got to eat clean. But really when it comes down to it, if you're training hard and you're not working on your nutrition, your body's going to be in a state of inflammation. And if your body's always inflamed, you're never going to be able to really feel your best. You're never going to really be able to burn a lot of fat. Your body's kind of in this reactive state. I can think about it as like having your e-brake on your car. You're never going to get on the freeway and have a good drive with your e-brake always on. And that's what inflammation does to our bodies. Got it. And the other thing I learned was you should probably ask people what they want before you try to go source and build and create a product and film videos and create detailed email sequences and all these things. So I feel like that was like a lesson repeated until learned situation. Well, a valuable lesson nonetheless. I mean, we had to learn these lessons somehow. And the way you just spoke, it was like a true entrepreneur. You learn by doing, you learn by trying to figure it out your way. And then, oh, I should have asked the customer, I should have asked the target audience. I've learned the same way too. Well, let's go back for a second here. So got, and I'm not going to say her name. We'll just say CJ back when you were around 12, gave you some feedback and it was the arms may not have been quite as bulky as her female friend standing next to her. So as a result of that, there was a body image or I'm going to prove you wrong. Something was going on in the brain. Is that still a chip on the shoulder? Is that still present that body image consciousness for you? Is that something still present somehow? Great question. And for years it was. And honestly, even after I had adopted this method, like all things considered, you know, I got compliments on my physique. People would talk about it. I'd done a couple of photo shoots and stuff like that. I still wasn't happy with how I looked. And at that point, I realized that it's not about necessarily even how I looked. It was about how I viewed myself, some of my internal agreements with myself and some just operating from a place of negativity, of scarcity and running from this fear. My whole life, I was skinny, fat, had a belly, had small arms, just felt really self-conscious about how I looked. So much so, and I think the gym is filled with jacked dudes who are still hurt little boys. And it wasn't until I started really being like, okay, well, what does my energy bring to the table? How am I using this as a catalyst to help other people? How am I taking someone else who's a leader in their company and showing them how to bring more life, inject more enthusiasm into what they're doing? And at that point, my paradigm shifted a little bit. And so rather than running away from this fear I had of not being enough, not being good enough, people judging me like, oh, I'm a personal trainer, but I only look like X, you know, I was able to let go of some of those fears, insecurities, and frankly, unconscious agreements I had with myself. You're not good enough. You're too skinny. No one's going to listen to you and start pursuing the passion side of things. So how do I get away from the fear and start running towards the development and the growth? I'm not going to say everything changed because largely nothing changed, but how I felt about myself, how much I enjoyed the process and my ability to stick to something. So rather than like beating myself up because I ate a piece of pizza, I'd be like, great, I had that piece of pizza and it's going to fuel my workouts. I got some extra calories. I'm going to use that. I'm going to push myself. It's going to be an amazing day. And so just these little behaviors didn't change, but the reason behind them did And that was more than enough to really start seeing the mental results that I hadn't had. It feels like you made a conscious switch from focusing on less than, as you would say, deficit on this incomplete or whatever it is about yourself. And then you started to focus on how I can get it out there for them, for their energy, for growth. But it was definitely a conscious switch. Today's episode of the Eternal Optimist podcast is brought to you by one of our reviews, a five-star review from Bailey FM in July of 2022. The title, A Great Way to Start Your Day, and The Body. Such a great, uplifting podcast. Matt is a great host and knows how to get to the heart of things. 
The Eternal Optimist is encouraging, inspiring, and it's truly a great way to start your day. A must listen. Exclamation point. Well, thank you, Bailey FM, for your very kind words. Uh, please be sure, everyone, to pause. Go to your phone, go to your computer, wherever you're listening to this, uh, rate and review the podcast on your device. You're much appreciated. Keep spreading the word. What's an episode that you've heard so far that may be meaningful to someone in your world? Whether it's a family member, a friend, worthwhile posting in your social media and tagging me, we appreciate any of that. And with that, back to the show. Can you talk for a moment about your unconscious agreements with yourself, maybe where you were then and maybe where you are now, any type of unconscious agreements? Yeah, and this is still a work in progress, something I think about a lot. And we know we talked about this a lot at the Front Row Dads retreat a couple of weeks back, and I thought it was incredible. So basically what would happen is, let's say I've got an online coaching program and someone signs up, they go through it, they're doing the work, whatever, and then they cancel. And so my agreement with myself was that if someone canceled, it must be because I am not valuable enough for them to stick around. My program is not solving enough problems. Therefore, my intrinsic value is low and I have less worth because I was not able to help this person get results. So like, that's just one example. And so I didn't realize that. All I would know is I'd get butthurt, but like, I would just be pissed. You mean getting butthurt? I don't really know what that means, but let's not get too graphic on it. But yeah, I do know what you mean. I felt the same way before when people were to cancel on coaching. I mean, remember the first client that I ever had that canceled and they didn't want to say it directly that I'm not getting results and this is not working. They kind of gave me a soft answer that I have other things over here I've got to do and try to let me down soft. But I took a real personal that first time. So I'm totally with you. I think anyone in sales or service who has a client leave for any reason probably can get butt hurt. So I'm with you. And I mean, like, even like in sales, when I'm trying to sign someone up and I'm like, man, this is going to be great. It's going to change your life. And they don't do it. And I'm like, I'm not good enough. I have less worth because I wasn't able to do this. And that was my agreement with myself. I mean, honestly, Matt, a year ago, I wouldn't have been able to explain this to you. I just knew that I did not like it. I didn't feel good. It would bother me. It would ruin my day. And so once I started addressing these things in my life and started looking at like, okay, I'm getting a real strong emotional reaction from this thing happening. Mm -hmm. And rather than feeling those emotions and being and letting those control me, I would take a step back and try to approach it with curiosity. Wow, why am I feeling so hurt by this? Well, it's because you have some attachment issues. And when people leave you, like your parents split up when you were 11. So when people leave you, that brings up old trauma. I was always like, I'm six foot white guy, no sexual abuse or anything like that. I don't have any trauma. But I realized that trauma is not always these grand things. It can be something that was said. It can be the way something was interpreted. It can be the way you feel about it, like a situation, just baggage that you carry along and your agreements and, and how you perceive the world. So now that I started to understand like a trigger for me and something that really bakes my noodle is abandonment and someone leaving me or feeling like I was not valuable enough for someone to stick around, I can now look at that in the face and be like, okay, hey, this person just left my program. Right now I'm feeling like slightly valueless and I don't think that's true. And here's all the reasons that it's not true. Because number one, I'm intrinsically valuable. I have worth as a human being regardless of my program or my job or my business or anything else. I'm valuable. And I know that for a fact because I hear that from people. I read that in the Bible. Like I know I can show myself concrete examples of why I'm valuable. Secondly, my program is amazing. And I know that for a fact because look at these testimonials that I have. Look at the people whose lives I'm changing. Look at these before and after pictures I have. One person is not a reason to do something, change something, or even like feel these big emotions, right? That's just their opinion. And I can look at all these other examples of the reasons why that's maybe not necessarily true. 
So when I walk myself through that emotional sequence and I allow myself to be like, oh, wow, I'm hurt because of these reasons. Here are why those reasons are not necessarily true. And try not to mistake the weather for the climate. That has been very like transformational in my parenting, Matt. Wow. Well, what are some of the agreements you might have with yourself now around parenting, for example? Ooh, that's a good one. And I think I have like a lot of concrete examples because I'm still really working on this. But I think previously when my kids would disobey, disagree, talk back, it was again, you don't believe me. You don't trust me. You aren't going to do what I say. And therefore I need to assert myself, become bigger, become louder. I need to yell in order to get you to do what I say, because if I don't, then again, I don't have the worth that I thought I did as a parent. I don't know if I necessarily have like the good values kind of ready to roll, but I think that I am now at least conscious. And that's, I think the step I'm on right now is becoming conscious. I'm just so impressed that you have this self-awareness at so many different levels. You have it from the place of how your nutrition fuels your body and your focus in your mind, and you're an expert on that. And that's your books and your mastermind, which I want to talk about in a minute, your program, everything you do, you're an expert there. You have self-awareness, you've made new agreements, and you're aware enough to say that in my parenting bucket, I have awareness and I'm working on the new agreements. And I respect that you have enough awareness to be there. That's half the battle is just awareness. And you appear to have it in these super important areas. Well, you mentioned earlier that you purge negative emotion with curiosity. You just ask why. And you might even run your trauma through curiosity and ask yourself questions about it. And when you came on the other side of it, where I am not valuable enough to stick around, you've since shifted that the exact opposite of I am valuable. And my program is great. It worked. So just those are two great examples, Nate. Just appreciate you sharing that with the audience of how you shifted your agreement with yourself over time. Any other thoughts on this unconscious agreements, you shifting your agreements over time before we move on to next? Yeah. So this kind of came out in the Front Row Dads retreat that we did live in Austin in like beginning of December. But I went with questions about parenting. I was like, how do I avoid letting my kids rile me up? Like, give me some tactics. Give me some questions to ask. I thought I was like, let me do that next level. Like, what do I, what's the question I should ask myself or my kids? But when it really came down to it, it was again, like, what are the subconscious things that are going on in my life? What did I need to maybe hear as a kid that I'm bringing that generational trauma with me? And so one thing that I think it was Joshua... Renner said was that, hey, you can accept who you are now and you can look back on how you were raised and still appreciate that because it made you the person you are today and you can love yourself who you are today. But you do need to go back and you need to reparent that little boy inside you that had that hurt and that was injured. And so when he said that, man, it like I had a physical reaction in my chest. I was like, oh, it hit me in a really weird way. And I just had this image of myself sitting at Balboa Park in San Diego, the, like the roller coaster place. And my dad had just yelled at me for something. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember he yelled at me. I was sitting on the bench waiting for everyone to finish the roller coaster and my neck was killing me. And one of the agreements that I think I took away from that, because my parents split up, I was always told to be the man of the house. I was told to protect everybody around me and stuff was that I had to be perfect. I have to be hundred percent on all the time. I have to be perfect. I have to show up like hundred percent for everyone in my life. That's my role. So I was sharing this kind of epiphany or this like visual that I had with seven dudes who I did not know and met for the first time at lunch that day. And I was like, just kind of talking through this because we were all sharing what we had taken away from the morning. And someone was like, what would you go back and say to that boy sitting on the park bench? And I was like, I would tell him, Hey, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be Nate. And Matt, I started bawling. I just started crying and I was like, I'm sorry. And they're like, don't say sorry. Let it out. Like this is a safe space. And I don't cry. I'm a tough guy, right? I have tattoos. 
And I was just so shaken by this. And it was so powerful to like speak those words. I think that's an important reminder that like, hey, I don't have to be perfect. And you know what? My oldest daughter, who is amazing, does not have to be perfect either. She's a four-year-old. All she has to do is be Rena. And I can't hold her to that perfection standard because I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. And she doesn't need to. That's not her role. That's not her job. And it's also not my job as the parent to be perfect, you know? But I'll pony up that credit card for when they're like 18 and they need counseling. That's on me. Fair. Well, it takes back two and a half weeks to that moment. You had a breakthrough or something that was overwhelming and it was emotional. In the past two and a half weeks, how has that manifested in the way that you show up for yourself or show up for your kids? Honestly, it's given me more patience. Like I went with the idea of like, how do I become more patient? What are, what are tactics? But I didn't realize that I was never going to be patient because I didn't have the capacity to be patient with myself. I expected perfection for myself, and therefore that bled into every other area of my life. John Vroman, who's just an amazing guy, you know, I think probably most people listening to this know of him. He's the founder of Front Row Dads, but he gave an amazing example of it's not like trying to fix issues like this with tactics. It's like trying to get someone to come dance with you. So you go and you put on the music and you got the groove going and you got some fancy lights. Okay. And then you go over and you get them and then you teach them how to do it. And you're like, all right, you got to do it like this and you got to do it like this and you're like this. And so you've done all these steps. You have all these things in place, but you didn't realize that if they just didn't have that broken leg, they'd already be up dancing. Yeah. Wow. Rewind and listen to that again, friends, because that's some profound wisdom. And I think you just may have found a, a new agreement for yourself. I am a patient man whatever that might mean. Takes me back. I think you and I might have an opportunity in the same space. That's why I joined the Front Row Dads almost four years ago. It was because I was a yeller. And I say was, thank God, because I was able to solve that. Something caught my attention one time in this space. It was an Instagram meme that my wife sent me. And it was, when your kids are in an emotional space, take a look at yourself and ask what emotional cues they're learning from you. Because if you are always in a stressful space or a frantic space or an overreaction space, then they're simply mirroring what they see from you. So look at your own emotional state first. I started to look at that and I was just like my father and he gave me a lot of great strengths that I love. And then there's a couple like the temper and the impatience that I've worked diligently to reframe. And as a result of it, we now are in a yell-free home. And there's one person in the front row dads I love to offer, maybe two people I love to offer some credit to. One of them was Adam Stock. And he had taught me something that when I'm there in the moment and I feel like I'm getting ready to yell because I'm triggered, I have this little mental tripwire that says, how would ideal Matt respond to this right now as a dad? And I put that in with a lot of practice, that little tripwire from Adam. So I appreciate him for that. And my other friend in one of my groups, Mike Wagner from the front row dads, his mental tripwire for me when I want to go and correct their behavior and change the way that they're treating each other. What's the worst that would happen if I don't correct this behavior? And so that trips in my mind. And I found that when I don't try to change everything and control everything right away, that actually they end up working it out almost all the time. So those are some things that have really worked for me and switching my own agreement as a human and as a parent that I'm a patient man. It's been very helpful. Love that. I love that. How would ideal Nate react in this situation? Because I feel like even just that question is enough to make you like pull back a little bit out of the moment and then re-engage. Even if you're not in an ideal state, it's going to get you one step closer to that. How can we expect to coach them or help them to grow up emotionally if we aren't? And if I keep blowing up and using my, and I'm, I like you, I mean, I'm tall and can be an imposing presence, especially with the kids. So helpful to uh, talk about work on all these things. 
I feel like the biggest thing that I want to be to my kids and my family is centered and grounded. I feel like that's the gift I would love to leave them with. And the legacy that I would like to share with them is you can come to me with whatever, and I'm going to take it in. I'm going to be calm, be patient. Like I'm going to be a safe space for you. I don't think I necessarily had that growing up. I always felt like a little bit on my own, a little bit. So if I have that place where like I can just bring that grounded, like centered, strong foundation to my wife, to my two kids, I think that's beyond anything else. That's probably one thing I would love to leave them with. And that's something, a gift I work on trying to improve for them every day. Well, hey, from what I can hear, you're doing pretty darn good at it. I guess what's the next thing that you're working on? It could be this. It could be something very tactical. It could be feeling. What's something right now that you're intentionally focused on with parenting? So what kind of what you were talking about, the second thing, what's the worst that could happen? Again, my kids are kind of getting to the age where they're playing together, but with every like 17 minutes, there's like someone gets hit in the face, you know? So I'm always like stepping in refereeing. And so now I'm trying to back off and just like, let's see what happens. They're probably okay. There's not a lot that can go wrong and letting them work through stuff, which has been great. And also like eye-opening the fact that they don't need me to police their every move. They're figuring it out. I love your sense of humor earlier. You were, uh, I mean, tough guy with lots of tattoos and cried. I love that. I can see on, looks like your right bicep over there, you have a tattoo. What is that tattoo over there? What is the significance of that one? That's called the Incan Cross. So that has a lot of significance being in South America. Each little corner on this is related to some other, like some values that they have. One of them is like, don't lie, don't steal, work hard. Then they talk about basically like part of this is like the overworld. This is like the terrestrial world and then the underworld. And they have different like animals that belong to each of those. So there's where like the snake, the puma and the condor. And I have tattoos that are kind of similar vibe. I have a crocodile tattoo. I've got a ram tattoo. And then I've got osprey tattoo. So kind of my own versions of those things. And they each represent different stuff to me. So like the ram, when I got married, because it's a bighorn sheep, which is a native to Arizona, which is where I'm from. And it's one of the only animals that will literally fight to the death to defend their families. So I tend to get tattoos as like lessons and reminders. My next one is going to be something about being grounded, being centered. I'm not sure what it looks like yet, but I'm gonna get that on my right thigh. Awesome. Is there a place in your body you would not get a tattoo? Yeah. I mean, I probably wouldn't get one at the Denny's. (laughs) I don't think it's safe, to be honest with you, Matt. Got it. Do you have a tattoo in your lower back? Or are you going to get one on your neck? I mean, are there places that are off limits on your body to get a tattoo? For now, face is probably off limits. I've been thinking about a neck tattoo. My wife's like, you should probably just hold off on that. <laughs> but other than that, I probably won't get a low back tattoo. Probably not going to get one on my belly button. Other than that, it's all fair game. Yeah, my wife got her first tattoo when she left her career job a couple months ago for us to start a new business. And she got a tattoo symbolizing three different waves, one for each of our kids. And she loves the ocean. And that symbolizes like tranquility to her, the waves in the ocean. So she got it. And it was right here on her middle finger. Right in here. And I hear that having a tattoo on a finger is actually a more painful place to have it. So she's there getting this tattoo. And I got my iPhone on. So I'm videoing the whole thing. And literally, she was screaming, ah! And then she's like, I'm never doing this again. And literally, the moment we walk out of there, she's like, I cannot wait to get my next tattoo. So it's an addiction. It's real. Yeah. You're planning your next one. You have to get one every year. It's like, or at least. I got these ones on my neck. So I got this, like, I don't know if you can see them, but I got Morse code on both sides with my kids' names. And so, again, remember, I'm very tough. So I went out to dinner with some friends afterwards and they started talking about tattoos and they're like, yeah, it's so weird. You like the needles go into your skin and it gets all like whatever. And I start overthinking this and getting all hot. And I turn to my friend and I go, I think I'm going to pass out. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Then I just fall off these tall bar stools, hit the ground on the bar. And they're like, he has to go right now. And so I'd psych myself out because I'm really tough and passed out in a bar 
I hadn't been drinking or anything from these two little tiny line tattoos that I've gotten. I got some big tattoos on my chest and torso and stuff. And so I'm still like, when's my next one? Oh, I booked it for February. Perfect. <laughs> so <laughs> Nice. Nice. Well, Nate, tell us a little bit more about your mastermind program and how we can find out more about you. I'm curious about that. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So right now, basically I am trying to help as many people as possible understand the science and simplicity of carb backloading via the million dollar body program. And so what I have right now is what I feel is like the most economical and just effective way of getting involved in a program like this. So I charge hardly anything compared to what I used to be charging for like the one-on-one coaching that I was doing. And I want people to have all the tools and resources they need. So I give them like a step-by-step walkthrough on here's what to do for your nutrition. Here's your meal plan for the first month. Here's your grocery list. So I have all those pieces in place, the nutrition side. And then have all the pieces in place from the training side. So whether you're starting off with walking or you're jumping right into the gym, there's apps, I build your workouts custom with the equipment you have. And then I have the accountability. So every week you're getting several texts, check-ins from the accountability coaches in the program being like, Hey, did you hit your workout? It was Wednesday. You said you were going to do your workout at three o'clock. Did you get it in? Just like following up and a little bit of that, like, Hey, knowing that someone is going to ask you about what you committed to. Mm. Because I found that like, I give away a lot of information, right? I give away the book and in the book, it's not just some like, Hey, buy my program at the end. Like, I feel like there's a lot of like coaching books that are like just 134 page sales pitches, but like no amount of information is going to get you ripped or do anything. I can't do anyone's pushups for them. So I'm happy to give away all the information, but I think the real value for the program comes from the accountability and being able to text and know there's a real live person getting your messages, responding, helping you follow up and giving you what the resources you need. I'm just so, so excited about it. I just have been like working really hard on it for the last couple of months. I launched it at the beginning of December and I'm trying to get, I think 2023 is going to be a big year for us because I think the better the community is, the better everyone's results are going to be so we can get people plugged in together and actually like helping each other out, which I think is what I'm looking for. I bet you there's a person out there listening right now that hears this and says, you know what? I can just read the book. I can do it on my own. And that same person is still not fit and not eating right, but they think they can do it on their own. So Nate really has the key here. The key is accountability and having a support system and someone or some group of people that can help you through that. So how do they connect with you, Nate? How do we find you and connect with you? So if you want to check the program out and see kind of what's entailed in that, just go to nate.fit. That's an easy way to get involved. But go follow me on Instagram at Low Carb Hustle or listen to the podcast, which is called Low Carb Hustle. You can see a little bit more about the methods I use and some of the, kind of the philosophies behind the program. But like to your point, Matt, you can't like the book is written in such a way that it gives you a 28 day plan at the end of it. You can do it on your own. I did it on my own, but it took me 11 years. It took you 11 years to do a 28 day program that doing it on your own. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I did a lot of experiments. I tried a lot of different things. I was mixing and matching, tried all the diets, did Orange Theory, did CrossFit, P90X. I did all the things. But like if I had just gone and like hired someone and said, I, here's what I want take me there and put my head down and done the work. I tell people I can get them to where I am right now in two years. I've been working out since 2004 and I can take that person's progress to where I'm at in about two years. Just shortcut the process. It just takes way less time if you don't meander and change programs and get the shiny object syndrome like I did. That's a lesson I try to apply to my business stuff too, because I'm like, oh, I'll just figure it out. I'll just do it. Why don't I just go hire someone who already did it? This is true. You know, learn from others trial and error. So you have to do it yourself. I love it. Who is the person who's listening to this right now that should be interested or that this program might appeal to? Any specific avatar of a person that would fit in this program? Yeah. Like I think if you're like 35 to like 50-year-old parent, you're busy, you have a lot going on, you might have a business, you might have a side hustle, you don't have a ton of time, and you got 30 or 40 pounds you want to lose, and maybe you've lost them before, and like you just kind of get stuck, you lose it, you gain it, you lose it, you gain it. That's who I want to help. I call that the valley of death, where you're just kind of in that cycle. You can't quite get out of it. I want to teach people on what I call the climb. 
So changing the paradigm around weight loss from being like, let's lose it in three weeks for my vacation in Nicaragua to being like, all right, let's lose it over the next year slowly. And then let's never have this conversation ever again. In 11 months, when 2024 is around the corner, I don't want the people to be thinking, man, 2024 is going to be my year. I can't wait to lose 40 pounds. Diet starts Monday. Let's stop thinking about that because I love nutrition. I'd love to geek out on your leptin levels. So fun for me. Most people have other passions. And I think fitness is a means to an end for most of us. Like once you get in the best shape of your life, then you don't have to do it again. So let's shortcut the process. Let's take you out of your head, get a plan on paper and make it so that 2023 is the last time you have to have this conversation with yourself. So Nate.fit, are you on social, Instagram, YouTube? Nate Palmer on Facebook, YouTube slash channels is slash million dollar body. And then Instagram is the at low carb hustle. Awesome. Thank you, Nate, for that. We've advanced to the lightning round. We're almost done here today. I'd love to ask you three quick questions to wrap things up. So are you ready? I'm ready. Got it. What does eternal optimism mean to you? It means seeing the good in every side and everything. It means like looking for the silver lining. It means that when something happens, we look for the opportunity. And rather than being like something you said earlier to me, it's like you said you didn't fail because you didn't quit. That's what it being an eternal optimist means to me is looking at it being like, wow, learned a valuable lesson from that gigantic failure that I just went through. What am I going to take out of that into the next step? And I think that one of the tenets of my program is you can't lose if you don't quit. I think that is the attitude of the eternal optimist. Awesome. Love it. What is a favorite movie or song that inspires you, gets you jacked up? There's a couple songs that are off limits to me when I'm lifting until it's like the heaviest lift and I need 100% intensity. The two of them are, number one, it's Be Free by Papa Roach. And the other one is Burn It to the Ground by Nickelback. And I think that speaks a little bit, you know, like people were like vibing with me for a minute and now they're like, that guy likes Nickelback while I'm out. You know what? That's fine. <laughs> but those two songs get me more jacked than I've been. I'm not safe to be around for like four minutes afterwards. Okay. Well, last question. What is a movie that does the same thing for it? Get you fired up? The Matrix. I've seen The Matrix like almost, I think, a hundred times. Nice. Why The Matrix? Just something about it. You know, kind of the reason I like Star Wars, it's against the hero's journey. It's the self-sacrifice of Neo in the end there. And then like the evolution and the becoming, becoming more after laying down his life for these are people that are more important. What their work is more important than what I'm doing. I love the self-sacrifice that like that speaks to me on a very intrinsic level. Awesome. That has been an amazing journey with you, my friend. You know, talking about car backloading, talking about your mastermind program, talking about the trip to South America, parenting, running businesses, succeeding, failing, and then coming back, succeeding again. It's just been amazing. And we appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, Nate. I just want to say thank you. We appreciate you. And it's been a great journey, brother. Appreciate you. Matt, this is a lot of fun. You are great at what you do. I hope you know that. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Look forward to next time. And we're signing off the Internal Optimist Podcast with Mr. Nate Palmer. And get a great day. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist Podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.